We need another wallet conference. Don't swipe. This is about you. Me? Are you one of the 2.2 billion people without access to safe drinking water? Does your wastewater belong to the 46 person that's still untreated in the world? Well, I hope not. Do you belong to the 4 billion people that experience severe water scarcity for at least one month every year? Well... Are you concerned that about 800 children under 5 die every day from diarrhea linked to inadequate water, sanitation and hygiene? That 1 in 4 children worldwide will be living in areas with extremely limited water resources by 2040? That 31% of schools worldwide do not have clean water and 34% lack adequate toilets? That 700 million people will be displaced by intense water scarcity by 2030? Okay, okay, I get it, but what can we do about it? Well, we need another water conference. I know you might wonder why I say another water conference when after all we're just one week away from the first one to happen in 50 years organized by the United Nations in New York from the 22 to the 24th of March. The thing is, there's a reason I'm recording this video from my French studio. You speak broken English? Okay, then there are two reasons I'm recording that one from France. Happy? But to be serious, my fear is that this historic event suffers from a flawed agenda. For an entire set of probably right reasons, I'm no one to judge, the United Nations have limited the influence of the water sector and the water industry on this water conference. The problem with that is that we might suffer from a disconnect between what's discussed in the UN headquarters and what's happening in the field. Don't get me wrong, some of the most prudent water minds will be invited to speak in New York. I'm thinking, just to name one, of the incredibly inspirational Mina Gulli I had the chance to have on that microphone a while ago. But nations, governments and multilateral organizations unfortunately have a track record of failing to bring water and sanitation to all. I've spent a TED talk demonstrating that it is an economic nonsense on top of all the human consequences of us failing so far, so I won't repeat myself. I'll just sadly look back to the promises of the Mar del Plata conference in 1977 and acknowledge that despite what was decided there, an entire water decade, a command for action in the 90s, the Millennium Development Goals in the early 2000s and now the Sustainable Development Goals since 2015, still 26% of the world's population doesn't have access to a safely managed drinking water service and 46% don't have access to safely managed sanitation. We have until 2030 to meet a double zero on on both of these indicators. Right now, we're progressing at a quarter of the speed we should. If you want the detailed breakdown of that fact, I'd recommend you my conversation with David Lloyd Owen, but you may also skip my French interference and read his exhaustive book, Global Water Funding. So how do we ensure that this upcoming conference doesn't get dragged down like previous initiatives? Well, for some months now, I've been asking some of the most brilliant water professionals for insights. I've asked them what they would have put on the conference's agenda. I've asked them what topics needed to be discussed amongst world leaders to finally solve the water riddle. Will their recommendations be applied? We'll discover that next week. And even if I have watered down hopes from the conference, I'll be following every word that's spoken in New York and I'll prepare you a daily digest on what's noteworthy. If that's of interest, you may want to subscribe so that you don't miss it. And if you do, that might help to cheer me up and to sustain the workload over the three nights I'll spend on it with the time zone difference, so I'd appreciate the support. For today, I've compiled the best inputs from the experts I spoke with so that we get a sense of the agenda the water sector would have built. Will the UN follow track? I'll make sure to check. Would you have put something else on the schedule? 
Well, that one's fully up for discussion, so I'd be curious to read your input in the comments. From my panel's perspective, though, the topic that should top the UN Water Conference's agenda is education about water. As Maria Manidaki, Austin Alexander, Kunal Shah, Steven Zamir and Nicola Le Gravelo told me. You mentioned education. I would make sure that all these issues and problems and challenges are embedded fully from in the educational system from the age of four. Every single student in the entire world needs to know about water challenges and needs to be educated on them. If you start there, you educate people. When you know better, you do better. And oftentimes water is one of the last things you know, that we really think about in all the ways it impacts our economy, it impacts our health. We need, you know, even more education and access to education on water. There's a whole other list of things I would do, but maybe that's where I would start. If I was a world water ambassador, which there is a small corner in my heart says that I would want to go for it one day. I think what I would do is all the multilateral money which is being spent, ADB, JICA, World Bank, IADB. I don't know how much is being spent on awareness. Awareness right from the child is one year old. Awareness about the real hardships which people are facing in countries. And thanks to my background, you know, I grew up in a state called Rajasthan in India, where even though you are rich or poor, you don't get 24-7 pipe water. Take it, you get tankered water, you get two days in a week water. You grow up there. Even if you are rich, you cannot get it because there's no water. So now imagine, I'm sure you've done your field trips in Indonesia. Look at the PT brown color water. I am not even talking about Africa. Antwa, how many people who are even listening to a podcast are aware of that harsh reality? Not just a documentary. So I think I also take an inspiration from Singapore. The former Prime Minister Lee Kuan Yew said that first people have to be aware in order to put the value to the water. Why people think water falls from the sky is because they just think it that way. So that is one thing I would do. I would create a massive awareness campaign, just like what COP26 has done. Imagine the awareness campaign. Do we have like that in our water industry? We don't, unfortunately. One of the things I think I would really do, getting to the root of how we think about and address water is education in schools. I know quite a few, as I'm sure everybody listening in does as well, especially in the water industry. We all know other adult professionals that have very little to no idea about where their water comes from and how it gets to their tap, how it's conveyed, how it's treated. And that is unfortunate and shouldn't be the case. And that really starts with education. I think education about water, I think it's important really trying to show how water is really important for everything, for not only for business and the economy, but also for everything we do. Yeah, I think in investing in awareness and education can go a long way because I think, and that's what I see from what I write, is when people have this haha moment, then it becomes quite clear. It's, you see everything in a new way and how everything is dependent on water. So. If you can support education and awareness, you can go a long way. Because I think there's going to be a shift in mentality and a shift in mindset too. There's still a lot of people that don't want to see the problems at hand and say, oh, we can, we can ignore it a bit longer. I hope education will make it into the discussions next week. And I'm pretty confident it will. The next topic, though, is different because it's also much more controversial. As Jonathan Roan, Wayne Barn, David Lynch, Michael Doran and Reinhard Hübner will underline, we might not be paying the right price for water. Hence, that straightforward opening statement from Christopher Gasson. Tell people to pay for water. My first action would be to put a price on water that represents the value that water has in our society. 
When I started in the energy industry, there was no price on carbon. A price on carbon is having a dramatic impact on the market, on the economics, and the adoption of solutions. And I think that that's, it continues to be a gap today. Water is too cheap. If you wanted a simple answer, it would be to charge or ensure that we charge a fair price for water. I think that would be something that would have a transformative impact on the water market. I'm going to be boring here and I'm going to reuse, I think what a few of your guests have been for, but we need to really round up and get a value on water. Um, we need to place a price on it. We need to, as a species, understand the value and the importance of water has. You know, it just is a completely unsustainable model that we have when it comes to water. And we need much more equality. You know, this is not limited to particular jurisdictions. You would think that one of the most developed countries in the world doesn't have uh, water poverty. It does. Yet we do have people making money on uh, water trading. And then all the while, uh, people will go out and spend however much they do on bottled water in the store. But I, I will argue against paying the municipal bill. This might come from Ireland. Like there is an incredible historic case study on, on the implementation of water charges. But like we just, as a space, we need to just like shake our head and realize that this is something that we can't forget about and we need to place value in our price. What's the true value of water? I think that too often it's seen as an expense. Too often it's seen as a cost burden that people skimp out on without understanding the true impact on your society. I really see the need for quantifying the health, the socioeconomic impacts of water quality as being a key driver, really understanding the metrics associated with the value of water. Then you can really start to justify the water reuse applications, the investment in technology, the investment in infrastructure, because you truly understand the scale and scope of the impact that water contamination has on people. This is super controversial, but we need full cost recovery. If the systems can't pay for themselves, Based on the fees they generate, they will always be influenced by politics, by budget constraints and what have you. And the success of the countries that have a very well-functioning utility sectors is also full cost recovery. Because at the end, it needs to pay for itself. We accept that everybody pays for electricity, everybody pays for internet, not just full cost recovery, but also a healthy profit for the providers. And in water, they can't even recover their cost in many countries. And I'm not saying we need to privatize the water sector for that. That's not the point. But a utility needs to be able to cover its costs from its revenue and not be depending on begging for money somewhere. Talking of begging for money, there's a subsidy topic to tackle, according to Greg Newbloom, and a pricing of water security to introduce if we follow Gonzalo de la Camara. You know, I think one of the things that surprised me most in the water industry is the disconnect between the subsidies that are related to water and how that really warps the value that we see in water because it's so highly subsidized. And I understand that because it's a basic human need. So we can't charge people to live. But I think that there are ways to remove some of those subsidies, especially for industry and agriculture, and for some of those costs to trickle through would have a massive impact on the way we do things and the way we conserve water in particular would change dramatically. Businesses were paying full fare for the water that they're using. We need to progress towards pricing water security, acknowledging that water security can only happen with the diversification of water supply sources and that the use of unconventional water supply sources such as water reuse or advanced water treatments or desalination of saltwater and brackish water should have a more significant role to be played in the water mix, especially in areas suffering extreme water stress. 
The development of these unconventional water supply sources might require us to change the approach to ramping up water technologies. If we're rethinking the paradigm, Paul Gagliardo would like us to aim for moonshots, Kobinagar wants more R&D and innovation incentives, John Friedman wants to see increased collaboration, Henrik Hageman urges us to replicate what works, and Cesar Narvez and John Robinson believe startups and entrepreneurs will be the right players to shake things up. There's been a lot of, what do they call, moonshot kind of projects where somebody says, okay, we're going to give a million dollar prize or a hundred million dollar prize, whatever, to solve a particular issue. So I think if there was some kind of very targeted, instead of a generalized goal, a very targeted goal, you get Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or Elon Musk or somebody to throw a whole bunch of money at it, I think you would see a lot more focused innovation on those particular topics. And I, I guess that's what I would like to see the UN do, just being more targeted. First of all, listen to scientists. Listening is a good action to do, but mainly kind of incentivize companies to sprout new ideas and innovation. How would you do that? Part of that, we talked about how much of your revenue needs to be allocated for R&D. I would want to put some kind of legislation that will force you to do that. I'm coming from the mindset of I was born and raised in Israel and Israel is doing a lot in R&D. So a lot of the revenue, a lot of the reason companies are created and growing is because you invent the future. The world is taking too fragmented an approach to water challenges. You have great organizations like the World Bank. You have tremendous philanthropies. You mentioned uh, Matt Damon's water.org. There are so many other organizations out there, but they're not working in concert with one another. I think we need to find a way to get governments, NGOs, philanthropies working in concert so we can achieve scale and greater impact. I really think that's the key to the kingdom on addressing global water challenges. I would invite some of the other leaders for collaboration and I would pick up the jealousy cases. We've got some beautiful jealousy cases in the water field and I would say, okay, how can we do it simply? How we can replicate these jealousy cases where they've already demonstrated an amazing sustainability improvement, an amazing improvement in cost of water treatment provision. And then, yeah, then I would work together. I think this is very simple. It's promoting. It's promoting startups, promoting fintechs to make something different because big multinationals don't have the envy to do it. Their business model is already, you know, adapted, established. So it's more hard for them because there are more inner seeds, you know, it's heavier to move to someone different to innovate. While a startup, a clean tech, you know, from the start, it's very dynamic. It's me who takes the decision and who goes forward. So. And we have, you know, the motivation, the energy. So it's very simple. You have to promote these clean tech startups by, at start, I think, by maybe giving some grants for developing projects, for making connections internationally. You know, that this is something that's already happening. We need more entrepreneur, entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial activity within water, which means government leaders or corporate leaders ideally need to place more emphasis on cultivating an entrepreneurial community that is recognized as playing an important role in addressing global challenges. Policy, of course, matters. Large engineering projects, of course, matter. But unfortunately, the entrepreneurial corner of water is getting more attention, but it still is not where it needs to be. And so if I could have a message to global leaders, I would say, 
support entrepreneurship within water with whatever resources you have. Now, as John Robinson just stated, yes, policies matter. And hence, the UN Water Conference might also be the right point in time to discuss those and broadly speaking, the systemic approach to water as Scott Bryan, Pierce Clark, and Michael Stanley Galisdorfer propose. I think in so many ways, our water challenges are often a crisis in governance. I think we really got to do a lot to clarify policies and in other cases, enact new policies. I think I'm hopeful though, in the sense that water can be a convener. And certainly in this country where we're very politically divided, and I look around the Rocky Mountain West, for example, I think that you can see some people coming together from both sides of the aisle around this issue of water scarcity and long-term risk to economies and, and ways of life. So I think that it's going to get harder, but I'm optimistic about what's possible from a policy standpoint. Certainly it's going to take some leadership and some different models and thinking than what we've been used to. I would try and install the model that they've got in Welsh water in Wales, Welsh water. So I'm not a huge fan of privatization. I think privatization works for 20, 30 years, but it then, as we're seeing in the UK, it begins to get very tired and it becomes very difficult to match the aspirations of the investors with the performance that's required for the public. Of course, the reason you do privatization is because you need a cash injection into the infrastructure to enable you to improve the assets that are there. It's not a black and white conversation, but I'd love to see a world where you had the sort of attitude and behaviors that we see in Wear Cymru or Welsh Water uh, as a sort of not-for-profit yet privatized type entity. This one might sound extremely boring, but I would love to hear more about groundwater and atmospheric water regulation frameworks. Why do we want to hear more about that? Because as more and more people are born and more and more people rely on these emerging areas of water supply, we need to know how to regulate and manage them effectively. So how we craft policy on a global scale towards groundwater and atmospheric water resources will impact how the future of the water technology landscape evolves. Because we can't just keep taking as much as we want whenever we want. It has to be in line with how the water cycle shifts and its dynamic nature, and good regulation respects that. Shifts in the water cycle might even get more problematic if we don't address the elephant in that room, climate change. That's the dimension Andrew Benedict, Ellen Bruno, and Maria Manideki would like to see added to the water conference's agenda. I would move at maximum speed to reverse climate change. If I can reverse climate change, which is doable, it's only a resolve that is needed, some countries are managing, then I think it would also make a major impact on water shortages and so on and so forth. So to me, there are many problems in this world. There's environmental impact and species going extinct. It's terrible, but it's much less important than people running out of water and much less important than all of us dying, which is climate change. So you have to focus the number one problem and then of course you also try to fix the other one. We have to become a little bit more circular because it's all about linear GDP growth and we're treating the environment and climate as an externality which doesn't really help much and maybe as a last one I would try and test any water policies or environmental policies against the net zero criteria or climate criteria because at the moment I see a huge disconnect in different parts of the world 
between policies that are there to protect the environment when it comes to river, for example, water quality or groundwater water quality, and what is the impact of those improvements into the emissions by building new assets. As a water resource economist, I think about issues related to water scarcity, and water scarcity is made much more complicated by climate change. Climate change is affecting our water supply and making it more variable, more unpredictable in many ways, changing it in ways we haven't fully wrapped our heads around. And so if I were a world political leader, one of my first actions would probably be to influence climate policy. When it comes to the water resource itself, Ben Sparrow and Semra Bakaloglu would like it to be better used and protected. Stop putting deleterious matter into the rivers and lakes that provide healthy, long-term, sustainable drinking water. Protect the rivers and lakes, you end up protecting drinking water for millennia. The world's biggest problem will be water scarcity in the near future. And if I were a world political leader, my first action would be limit the water usage, most likely in the agricultural sector, which consumes 70% of all water. And I would advocate for the use of reclaimed water in the agriculture. Once we've done that, we have to find a way to transform this one-off big water focus into sustained attention, which Luke Butler would see possible if we bring more transparency and open data, and Anis Balkwell would imagine making the topic recurrent. I think more openness in data is a big piece. I think that some utilities in North America are legislated to provide open information, and it gives more transparency to how the network works. So you can go to a web portal, see their entire GI system, the networks, but I would love to see that extend to even more information. So like, why couldn't someone who lives in a city know what the level in the tower is, the pumps are, or how much the real-time pricing? Like, I think that opens up transparency. Like there's very little benefit at the moment for utilities to do that. Maybe they'll find issues, but I think it would help both the creative public and private side to find better solutions if there was more openness in data, not just you know, static GIS information, but raw information that people consume and it could drive a huge amount of innovation. I would definitely push for yeah, more openness just in pure data. I think just getting it on the agenda in a real way, regularly, not just as this backdrop. And I think having it as one of the platforms that we're actually standing on would be the first thing that matters. So I think working with other nations to really elevate this conversation and to really get into action and start experimenting and start allowing funds to go into that direction that let's go experiment, let's go figure this out, let's tackle these the toughest hit basins, let's turn this around and show some evidence so that the rest of the world can follow and those partnerships can grow. To round it off and underline what I said in the opening, I fear there's a missing link in this UN Water Conference as it doesn't really involve the water sector kind of a pity when it's about addressing the water topic. And that is also what Bjorn Otto would like to amend in next week's agenda. I wouldn't put one topic on the agenda. I would encourage the people who are in charge of the conference, talk to the industry who can solve the issues you want to discuss about. What I have realized is, I know rapid fire questions always short answers, but sorry for you that. You can cheat, it's okay. <laughs> what I have realized is that they, that they talk from my perspective to the wrong people. The people who are in charge for that, they should talk to the water industry. Not alone, but this is one piece of the puzzle. Because all technologies you need to solve the problems we have in the world, if it comes to water scarcity, if it comes to all the water problems we have, all the technologies, they are given. Come on, they are given. The water industry can solve that, but you have to talk to that. On the other hand, I want to encourage the water industry 
take more part if something like this, like the UN Water Conference, which happened last time, I think decades ago, if such an event comes up, try to speak with, go there, talk to the people, try, try to be part of the delegation, even with his heart. Try to bring your solution from the global perspective, from the objective perspective into that game. Because what we all should, should strive for is that water is not an issue anymore for other people. We have water here. Come on, you have water, I have water. It was easy to get water here. So, and that should be easy for each and everybody because that will be the game changer for the entire human population. And here you have it, 30 expert inputs on what shall be on next week's UN Water Conference's agenda. How much will really be tackled? We'll know quite soon. And as I said, if you subscribe to this channel, you'll get my daily digest of what's happening. I'm getting myself ready, <laughs> not sponsored. If you also have an opinion on the actual agenda, let's discuss it in the comments and I'll see you next time.